Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And this is our second episode of this little podcast adventure that we're doing. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go take a listen. Uh, episode one, we broke down the differences between the two games in Games Workshop's range. Uh, specifically, their fantasy option and their sci-fi option. And uh, we kind of took some time for ourselves and went, what would follow up well to that episode? So, John, what are we going to be talking about today after we broke it down to the basics? So today, what we're going to be discussing is uh, major playstyles in the army. How do you play these two respective games? There's a lot of similarities between the two of them. And uh, how to pick the playstyle for you. Uh, I yeah. think that's something that a lot of people struggle with getting into the game is figuring out well, like, oh, man, I like this kind of thing in strategy games. Like, how do I do that in this game? What works and what doesn't? And uh, it can be a little bit daunting. And a lot of people can struggle back and forth with different armies and, and really kind of get discouraged because they don't pick a thing that feels good for them. And we're hoping to kind of avoid some of that. Yeah, I mean, when you're trying to get into these games, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, you pull them up, and if you're interested, God forbid, in both H of Sigmar and 40K... Uh, you could be looking down the barrel of choosing between, what, 50-some-odd armies? Uh, yeah, both like, games combined? Yeah, probably about 50-something armies between the two of them. And, like, there's just some stuff that is different in each game that supports certain playstyles a little bit more. Um, and you might find that in one environment you might like a particular playstyle, and the other one you might like a different one. And uh, we're hoping to talk about how each playstyle is, you know, respective in each system. So if you want to start off with picking one, Joe, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, we're going to work under the assumption that most people who are listening to our podcast here uh, have listened to the first episode because they're either newer players just getting into this or deciding to get into it, or they're people who are you know, coming back to it after quite a while away. Uh, so in that case, we thought it would be appropriate if we broke this thing down to basics for y'all. Uh so if you're wanting to pick an army, the first thing I think that we should talk about are army playstyles in the broadest sense. So kind of the archetypal armies between both systems. Really what I'm talking about here when I say archetypes is it depicts how your army is going to try to win these games. So what you're going to push for to get that victory or to play that narrative or whatever you're trying to do. So we'll start with... One that I think is the easiest for people to imagine, and John's favorite, melee-based armies. Armies whose whole goal is to get in your face and crush you under their boots to do whatever they've got to do. Um, John, you, just like myself, I guess, looking kind of at my closet behind me, are a fan of melee armies. So why do you like this particular archetype of army? So one of the one of the biggest draws of a melee based force is that it's very visceral. Like it, it feels more fun than shooting in a lot of ways, uh, because it your dudes are going up and punching other dudes, and it's real great. Um, but as you continue playing it, you can kind of really learn. When you start off, you're probably gonna have a hard time with a melee force. There's a lot of nuance to learning, like how to play a melee force well, um, even in something like Age of Sigmar, where melee is kind of the prevalent mechanic. So learning how different synergies work together 
makes it a really fun thing to con- to be playing time after time again. You can learn a lot of it, but it's ju- it's simple enough to understand with your first game and feel like you know what you're doing. You know, in, in a shooting army, you have to do worry about firing arcs and ranges and threat ranges and everything else. With melee armies, you really only have to worry about getting my dudes there and hitting your dudes. And also, on a less, like, competitive note, Man, it's just fun to charge into melee rage and crush their stuff. Like, there's oh yeah, there's a, a there's very few feelings better than rolling like an eleven inch charge, getting into melee range and causing something on the enemy's army to just disappear, just gone, turned to pink dust. I think some of the even better moments than that is when, uh, you know, you're at like turn four or five of the game and you've got like four dudes left and they've got like three dudes left and they're just beating each other. Like they threw their guns to the ground and they're just fist fighting in the middle of this battlefield. And it's probably over an objective or something like that. And it becomes a fun interaction and memory that you can form with your, uh, you know, presumably friend you're playing with. And you guys will talk about it and get into it because, you know, you can hit their dude with your dude and, you know, they'll survive it. And they're like, well, my guy's going to punch your dude back. And it's immediate. It's not it's more of a back and forth. It's more of a getting in there and doing the thing with somebody. And it feels really good. Uh, Not to say that shooting doesn't have a place in a melee style army. It absolutely does. But melee is really there if you want to like be aggressive you want to take over the board you want to saturate them with threats and that's the kind of narrative that you're going for in other games they're like the rush style lists stuff like that like in our in an rts just sending loads of dudes really quickly in the beginning of the game yeah if you're zerg like rushing somebody down you probably understand the idea of a melee army maybe you play a barbarian in D, something like that yeah, you're just going to get in there and mix it up because your battle strategy is the same every time. Apply fist to face, and if that doesn't work, apply more fist. And I that's an incredible feeling when you play an army. But I also think that if you're going to play that army, you should probably know what some of the downsides might be. Because this whole thing's about picking what style of force is right for you. Uh, and if that's something that interests you, I'd also think you should kind of know what what the pitfalls might be for that force. So, as we said earlier, John and I both have melee armies because we're big, simple people and we just like to hit stuff sometimes with these little plastic army men. And I will tell you that as many, like, big highs as I've had from these melee armies, there could be some lows. Sometimes a melee army can have trouble winning in very specific matchups. And in those matchups in particular, you might win big, you might lose big. And there's probably going to be very little in between. Uh, For example, if you're playing a melee army and you're going up against an all-ranged army, which we'll talk about here in a few moments, sometimes you might just die before you get there. That sucks. It doesn't happen as often as some internet communities would have you believe, but... It does happen from time to time, and if you're going to play a melee force, you should probably be okay with just shaking off that loss and moving on to the next game. And one of the things that's really rewarding about that kind of situation, too, is when you lose like three games in a row to somebody who just shoots you off the table, and then you play that same person, and you've like thought about how to deal with this, thought about how to like outmaneuver, and then you pull it off it feels like you actually learned a thing or made progress and got better at the game, which is incredibly rewarding. As I was you know, alluding to before, 
you can really grow. You can learn a lot of different skills and really learn how to play the game in a more fun way, either competitive or casually or narratively or however you want to do it. It has a place in all manners of play. Uh, I will say, though, that a lot of melee armies do tend to go more on the side of horde armies, which are, as we'll talk more about later, lots of models. So be prepared that if you're playing a melee force, such as orcs, or maybe, uh, what's a good AOS one, Joe? Orcs. And orcs. orcs again. <laughs> uh, you're probably going to be painting a lot of models, and uh, you should be aware of that. Not to say that you can't play an elite, smaller unit, you know, quantity style list for melee, but they're much more common to play lots of bodies because it means you're more likely to get more bodies there. And so if painting is something you struggle with, it might be a little difficult, but it's worth doing and growing into in the hobby, especially if you're new. Yep. As a guy who plays Tyranids, I 100% back that opinion. I've spent many a nights painting away at tiny, tiny little bugs, and it's all worth it. When you eventually get into combat and pull some stuff down with these ants with an attitude, I think that's just lovely. So, we mentioned it while we were talking about melee. I think we should probably just move on to shooting. Yeah, I think it's a good time to talk about shooting. So, generally speaking, if melee armies are an army where to try to win the game, you're going to exert your plan in the melee phase, shooting armies... Is just that, but in the shooting phase. So when you are taking the reins and you're kind of starting to steer the game, it's going to happen in the phase of the game where you are at longer range from your opponent. So this means you might have arrows, you might have guns, you might have vehicles, you might have big monsters that could shoot stuff across the table. But one way or another, when shooting phase hits, you are going to try to do as much damage to the enemy army strategically as possible, while also trying to stay away from them so that your guys aren't in danger. Because that's really the key here, is if you enjoy the idea of outlasting somebody, a shooty army might be for you. Because you're going to be back, and you, if you're playing correctly, you might be safe. Yeah, I think that... Uh... Shooting armies have the distinct advantage of it allows you to kind of think a little bit more, not quite as much as some of the big brain stuff we'll talk about later, but it's very much picking your targets before they get to you and knowing how to layer your fire and layer your reactions to things. And for a lot of people, that's really appealing. Uh, you know, you kind of have a little bit more control when you're playing a shooting force and it can be a lot of fun to shoot something off the table. But I will say one of the pitfalls of playing a shooting force is sometimes it does create a fields-bads moment, as we like to say, uh, for both sides of the table, on an opponent. Maybe they're playing an all-melee force and you shot them off the table and it's turn two and they kind of feel bad. Well, that kind of sucks. That can happen sometimes, especially for newer players getting into the game where they don't know how good your shooting can be. Uh, but on the other side, you know, you could just put your guys a little bit too closely to their guys and you just lost you know your key big unit before they even get to shoot and that can also feel you know a little bad yeah that could hurt you pretty big very quickly but i will say kind of how we were talking about how the melee force grows with you i don't know if a shooting force grows with you to the same extent as melee but i will say a shooting force will teach you target priority and acquisition quickly very quickly 
you are going to figure out what units in your opponent's army are dangerous, and you're going to figure that out within a game or two. Probably because you're going to target the wrong things at first, and they might make you pay for that. But that's part of the learning process. And some of the people who I got into this game with, who started with a shooting force, have very quickly built this innate knowledge of other people's armies. Where they could sit down across from them and know pretty immediately, alright, I gotta shoot that, and then I'm going for that, and then that's target number three. And if you like making a plan of that sort of detail and then executing, a shooting force could bring you an immense amount of joy and entertainment pretty easily. Another good point is that shooting forces tend to be uh, vehicle-based, at least in 40k. We're talking about like Imperial Guard with all their tanks, Tau with their big battlesuit monsters, um, those kinds of things. So that's another plus, is that you could take these bigger vehicles, which equivalates to less painting smaller dudes. Um, and in my experience, most people find painting bigger models more fun, because it's a little bit easier to do, and you can mess around with it a little bit more. So that's also a plus side. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And even in Age of Sigmar, the premier shooting faction are a bunch of steampunk sky dwarves. So also more elite than it is Horde. That could be a boon if you're someone who doesn't want to paint a ton of models when you get into an army. So, yeah. moving on to our third, and what I think is probably the most common way that people start the game, is the third archetype of army that does it specialize in either melee or shooting? Ah, uh, the all-rounder. Exactly, yeah. They're what I would call the toolbox army. Because no matter what you need, you reach down in that tool chest, you're going to find something that'll fix your problem. These are armies that, in particular, if you're a new player, I, if I were going to steer you anywhere, I might steer you here. Simply because there's so many options in these type of forces. Yeah, like uh, Space Marines, for instance, are a really good example where they can take a couple of vehicles maybe for some good shooting, a couple of squads, you know, that can sit in the midfield and pop some shots down range, and then they got a couple of, like, real big BV fight dudes to take you all over the place. And that's really useful, especially as a new player where you might not know your playstyle, And so you can start with something that allows you to kind of dip your foot into a little bit of everything. Uh, some armies just don't work as all-rounder factions, though. So you should take that into account when you're looking at wanting to play that. And we'll be getting into faction-based picking the right faction for you in a later episode. But this episode, we're kind of hoping that you can find the playstyle that sounds the most interesting for you. Uh, but we will probably, and I'm sure Joe will agree with me, suggest the all-rounder as if you're really new to this and not quite sure what you want to play. Because it's a great starting point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also kind of safe, you know? Like, let's be honest, when you go to get into this hobby, you're going to be spending money on models. And nobody wants to spend money on something that they might not end up liking in the future. And if you don't have a point of reference and you never played these games before... You can't really go wrong with a toolbox faction or an all-around faction. Because once you get into them, there's a model in their army that does just about everything. And another good thing about a lot of the factions built kind of around playing an all-rounder playstyle is that they have more models to choose from. So you'll always have something new to get. There's less redundancies in your list. Like you're not taking three of the same unit. You might be taking three different units. And for a lot of people, that's more fun to paint. That's more fun to write a story about. Like, this is my specific squad 
of elite fistfighting dudes, or this is my elite squad of sniper dudes. And instead of having, a, oh, well, this is squad A of, like, fistfighting dudes and squad B of fistfighting dudes, and they're, they're the same, but, like, kind of different, you know? Yeah. So it can it can be a, a fun experience, too, of building this diverse fighting force so you can tell your own little story about in your head and share the stories with your friends and all that. And, I mean, also, when you go to play a toolbox army, you're going to learn a lot about the game very quickly. Because you're going to be doing something in every single phase. Because uh, we kind of talked about how before, shooting and melee armies are very focused on those individual little portions of the game. And an all-arounder army, if you're trying to learn, you're gonna. Because every single phase, you're going to have something to do. Movement, you're probably going to have pretty good movement. You get into doing magic or psychic, you're going to have some of that. You get into shooting, you're probably going to have some of that. And fighting, well, uh, surprise, surprise, you're probably going to have some of that. And in doing that, it will kind of help you learn the game as a whole. So if you're someone who learns by doing, and you want to kind of get your head around this uh, order of operations, I would call it, and like how a turn plays out, this would be a good way to do it. Uh, the only downside that I would really give to most toolbox factions is if you're like me and you really like spending money on little plastic army men, you might end up spending more money than you thought you would on these little plastic army men. Because there's going to be a cornucopia, a plethora, a bountiful field of cool models for you to buy and paint and try out. Well, I think beyond that, too, it's when you play a game with a group of models and then you run into a situation where you're like, oh, if I only would have had this tool in my toolbox. Oh, danger. It's just like when you run out of a tool at work or something and you need to go buy a new one to for that situation. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to run into a situation where, like, if only I would have had a heavy weapons team to deal with that tank that shot me to death. You're going to go out and buy a heavy weapons team. Like, you're going to feel that initial drive to do so. And for a lot of people, that's a lot of fun. For some people, they want to just kind of focus in. So it's another thing to think about when trying to build an army. Yep. Do you want to have, like, a little bit of everything? Or do you really just want to be like, I got, like, 20 tanks, dude. <laughs> As somebody who has eight squads of intercessors and five 10-millimeter sockets, uh, I fall in that category. Uh, and I could not recommend this one enough. So... John, let us go to the Eldritch Realms. The most. Oh, are you talking about magic armies? Uh, well, I'm going to call them trick armies, because... Oh, I would disagree. I think that magic and trick armies are two completely different things. Oh, Lord, here we go. I knew it. The moment I said this distinction, I was ready. All right, we'll start with magic armies, or psychic armies for people who decide to play 40k. They're interchangeable, I promise. This is an army where they probably do a little bit of fighting... They probably do a little bit of shooting, but really, where they make their money, the bread and butter, is in the magic phase. And these forces, they are impressive, let me tell you. I don't play a whole lot of these, because these are generally for people with big brains, and I have small brain. But I have seen big brain people play these to great effect, and it's like watching a fireworks show on the 4th of July. It happens before you knew it was coming. And then it lasts for about 15 minutes, and then it's all over, and you have no idea what occurred. And it's pretty freaking sweet. Yeah, the, a lot of the appeal of playing a magic-based force is, uh, whereas 
you know, shooting, you're like, ah, oh, I'm picking my targets methodically. In melee, you're running out and fighting dudes. There's a lot of chance and a lot of jank, for lack of a better way of putting it, in magic armies, where you have all of these magic elements you're trying to do, or psychic elements if it's 40k, and you're trying to do them in the right order to pull off the combo you're trying to do, or, or to give yourself the right buff, or take care of certain things. And like Joe was saying, you're gonna have melee dudes, you're gonna have shooting dudes, but they're not the greatest at it. Your focus is mostly magic, and using that magic to benefit what you need in that time. Similarly to an all-arounder army, but very focused on magic. And where this leaves you is with a huge amount of strength in those specific phase. Whether it's the magic phase in AOS, or the psychic phase in 40k, it'll allow you to prevent other people from doing magic more often, and it'll allow you to dominate in that phase. Yeah. Which feels really good, but can occasionally cause a little bit of grumblies especially in something like 40k where there's entire factions that just don't have access to magic at all like no answer yeah and good point that can be a bit weird with some of your friends but generally there is some responses they can have to it so it allows you to do a very special thing one of the side effects of a magic army though is that there's not a lot of options for it in like 40k aos i believe there's a lot more yeah. Magic in general, uh, but in 40k, there's very specific factions that are really good at the you know psychic phase, not a ton. Yeah, I think in AOS it's a little more common because in AOS almost every faction has a little bit of magic, but there are four, I'd say, like four or five factions who absolutely can dominate there. And when a player who is sort of naturally attuned to this style pilots one of those armies well, it's a sight to behold. Because uh, generally, when we were talking about melee and shooting before, we inherently talked about how those strategies are kind of played out over multiple turns. Very rarely in your average game are you going to wipe the enemy army and win the game in a single turn. It, that's going to be something that you have to play out over three turns, four turns, five turns, maybe more, depending on how long your game goes. But a magic army, sometimes if if you have a player who could figure out that wombo combo and that falcon punch, it could cause huge effects very quickly. However, unlike shooting in melee, your magic isn't guaranteed to go off. So it really comes down to how well was my plan put together for what spells I needed to cast and when I needed to cast them. And then did I account for what happens if that just didn't go off? And that can really be appealing to someone who likes the idea of a deep strategy game. And if you're some, if you're one of those people, I think this might be a great place for you. It's also a really high risk, high reward type of play style where you're putting your eggs in a basket and hoping that basket doesn't get shattered uh so like that if that's appealing to you great because if when a magic army goes off especially if they get good luck they go off big um the first time you get three spells that just go off with the highest probability with the highest potential that they had you're gonna feel really great about it but at the same time you might have a bad time when you know the opposite happens yeah if none of your spells go off and you didn't position or plan for that you could be caught out in the open with no defenses. And this is another one of those factions where it's really elite-based, less horde-based. 
Uh, it's way more about small individual units or characters specifically with really good psychic ability or magic ability and what they can do. And a lot of it is named characters instead of, you know, generic characters. But uh, Joe, I think that's pretty good for their, for the magic guys. Why don't we talk about something we've kind of hinted at in a couple of them, and that's horde armies, a big part Ooh, of both. Yeah. Uh, so John and I both have a special place in our heart for horde armies. We just can't help ourselves but keep hopping into them, despite the fact that we get so buried in trying to paint all of the guys we need to for them. But here we are. Both of us played a horde army. All right, I'll put it this way. If you're someone who watched the movie Starship Troopers and saw that scene where the bugs are skittering across the planet by the thousands and went, wow, this is for you. Like this, this is your army. If you like the idea of unending tides of enemies blanketing a battlefield so thick that you can't see the ground and their rolling mass is all that's left of the earth below their feet. This is for you. These are armies that they don't necessarily win by just shooting or win by just fighting phase or win by just magic. They win by throwing so many bodies at you that you eventually are just going to drown beneath them. Yeah, I, I think that horde armies are like the quintessential... I want to see as many of my dudes on the table as possible, and I want to just make clog up the board. I want to control the board to the point where you you have to make certain decisions because I have two hundred green orc boys charging you. <laughs> yeah, no matter what you do to take this objective, you are going to have to kill two hundred guys first, and that's a hard ask for some people. That's a lot of models to have to shift. So generally, I mean, it's a lot of models I have to paint too. No kidding, it's a it's a Sisyphean task, and every time I just get to paint all my Tyranids, I go buy more Tyranids because I guess I don't like myself. But maybe one day I'll learn. That day's not today, though. Judging by my paint rack behind me. Yeah, it's also incredibly rewarding to finish like a hundred clan rats and look at them and go, "That's a hundred clan rats." I painted a hundred clan rats. It really makes you feel like an accomplished painter, and it makes you feel like an accomplished hobbyist. Like, yeah, it's very I, rewarding. I'm generally not much for like elitist hobbying, but there is a nod between two horde army users who both have painted a bunch of mindless little dudes. That there's a connection, and there's a nod there. That elite armies, you won't get that nod. Take that. <laughs> um, I will say. Generally speaking, the if you are someone who wants to play objectives rather hard and you are somebody who you come to a game and you like winning and list building essentially before you sit down at the table, horde armies might be for you. Because if you bring the right horde to the right game, you might just win immediately. I mean... Well, I won't say literally immediately, but there's a definitely a moment where sometimes I have sat down with a non-horde army and looked at a horde across from me, and I knew the moment they set down, like, 30 orc boys, and then another group of 30 orc boys, and then a third group of 30 orc boys, that I didn't have enough bullets in my army to take out that many guys. And it's like an immediate threat saturation pressure. 
Like in, in a shooting force or a, a melee force, the opponent, if they know how your army works, are going to look at some of it and go, well, that's the problem piece, and that's the problem piece, and that's the problem piece. These other things I can kind of deal with later, those things need to be dealt with now. With the Horde army, you look at all of it and you go, I kind of got to deal with all of it, like right now, what do I do? And that's the big appeal of a Horde army, is you force them through pressure to f- have to decide what to do. And also, can be a lot of fun for both sides, because you're pulling off a lot of models one way or the other. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a lot of dudes going away, so it feels like there's constant progress in the game. Yeah, that's true. I mean, once they start shooting, it is really gratifying to blow 60 orcs off the board in a single round of shooting. Even if I lost the game, I'll still walk away going, hey, that was pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Because it is. Yeah, I kind of made it kind of made a pile of like eighty of your dudes over on that other table over there to go, Yeah, you kinda of did, dude. Hey like, man, your dead pile blots out the sun. That's neat, huh? We all like three hundred. Like that's the yeah. game that you're getting into when you play a horde army. Uh so I think that's pretty cool. And if you're someone who likes to be reactive rather than an aggressive pre planner, I think a horde army's great. Cause when you sit down with a horde army, there's not Unlike a, a sort of magic-based army where you have to plan out and play in like eight-dimensional chess to figure out exactly what's going to unfold when and how, when you play Horde Army, your plan is just to sit down and then move your stuff forward some. Like, that's that's always going to be your plan. And you don't have to stress a whole lot about that. But the strength of a good Horde Army player is reacting to your opponent's first turn seeing where they apply pressure on your side of the board and then responding to it effectively. So if you're someone who, let's say, when you play chess, you don't mind throwing your pawns away to get an advantageous take using a knight, a horde army might be for you. Because in a horde, you're definitely going to lose all of your tiny guys. And that might just be fine. Totally fine. And for people who naturally can go to that mindset... I think it's a cool place to start. For newer people, though, uh, we've said it a couple of times here, but I will say it again because it is worth mentioning for new hobbyists. If you're someone who doesn't want to paint models, ignore this little bit, but if you're like most folks and you like to paint your models, it is a big ask to paint this many models, especially for new players. Because uh, there's a lot of techniques that could speed this up, but you have to kind of be doing this hobby for a little while to learn those techniques. And if you're going in kind of fresh and kind of green, you could end up biting off more than you can chew. And I don't want that for, for any new player who's, you know, who that isn't what, exactly what they want. Yeah, and we're, our intention here is to be very honest with you about these kinds of things as veteran hobbyists and gamers to kind of make sure that you have an easier time getting into it. You don't end up wasting your money and your time and more importantly, that you don't end up not liking a game that you could otherwise, because our goal is kind of play with more people. Um, and we really want to see you have a good time. And if all of that painting sounds like a really tough ask for you, then the next army we're going to talk about might be the one for you. And that's an elite-based force. Elite-based forces are really easy to paint. Sometimes there might be more detail, but there's less of them. And you can take time on each dude. Oh, yeah. So, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Elite Forces, seeing as though you've played one before? That's true. I actually, I'm just getting into one now for the new 40k edition. Well, I kind of stumbled into this one on accident, but I don't want to get too derailed on it. But I have stumbled into an Elite Force, and I've come to love them. So, 
Here's why. Because when I'm painting, I've come to learn over the past couple years that I don't like painting a lot of the same model for a long time. So I don't like painting a like 90 orc boys back to back to back to back to back. Because my attention span is that of a goldfish and a golden retriever. I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. But with an elite force, that's never going to be a problem. Whereas you might be bringing 150 models for a horde army. An elite force, depending on the force you're playing, you might have barely more than 10, if that. Maybe. And if you're someone who doesn't like to paint a bunch of hordes, that's pretty cool. Uh, but also... What I think, for me, gameplay-wise, though, what I think is cool is that generally in an elite army, less guys have to carry the same amount of punch as a big army. So each of those guys is an absolute champion. An absolute monster. And it is really gratifying to see, like, oh, John's coming at me with... 10 of his Chaos Space Marines. I'm going to put one guy in this doorway and he's going to take on all 10. And if that one guy wins, it's a story for the ages. We'll talk about it for days, sometimes months. And if you're someone who wants to do more with less, man, elite armies are the way to go. And it's also good to point out that on the other side, it can be a little bit difficult to get used to at first because you do have to play carefully you have to learn like exactly what your different guys can handle maybe this guy can handle dealing with these particular types of models or maybe these particular types of models and learning where they fit best and where like where to move them and how to like move around and hit the flow in the battlefield can be difficult with an elite army, but is also satisfying. Uh, you know, you will lose your first couple games of 40k, no matter what style you play. Just going to put that out there. But elite army specifically, you will notice a huge difference between your first game and your fifth game, and how much better you do. Yeah, I think that's valid. I was literally just going to say that. That we talked about how before, like, melee armies and shooting armies, you get better over time. But I don't think you're necessarily, like, doomed to lose your first couple games or to get whooped for a while. But I think for an elite army, you've got to be okay with that. Because you are going to get whooped for your first five, six games. Because, you know, you have to learn how to get the most out of the small army. And that just takes experience. There's really no substitute for that. And if you're someone who doesn't like losing badly back-to-back -back a couple times, well, I'd caution you away from this one. But if you're someone who's okay with a little bit of pain for some gain down the line, I think an elite army can be really fun for that kind of person. And uh, speaking of elite armies, oh. the next army we're going to talk about, Joe... Oh, you have, do you have something more to add about Elite Armies, or do you want me to just go on to the next one? At this point, I might have had something, but now I'm worried for whatever your next words are going to be. <laughs> okay. Whenever you get this quiet conspiratorial voice, I'm always flinching for whatever comes next. Well, it's funny you say conspiratorial, because I'm talking about Trixie Armies now, Joe. <sighs> no, the bane of my existence. The, the tricks. 
Uh, they're, you know, the Eldar or the Gene Stealer cult or the, uh, what's a good one for AOS I'm trying to think uh, of? Seraphon, Gloom Spike Gits. Yeah, that's a good one. People who have, yep. like, teleports and all sorts of crazy effects that come out of nowhere. These are uh, trick-based armies, and John loves these. So I'm going to so, go ahead and let you take the, the first reins on this one. So trick-based armies can be either hordes or elites, but more often than not are elite-based armies. You got to play careful with them, and at first glance, looking at them, you're going to look at them and go, how do they work? Like, this other army does this way better. Why is this like this? Why are these guys so, like, easy to kill, but they also don't hit that hard? Well, it might be because they have specific tricks. A lot of the times, these armies don't win by killing the enemy. They don't win by surviving, either. They win on objectives. They win about getting points over the course of the game. If you like the idea of maybe you end the game with one or two models left on the table, but with way more points than the opponent, Trixie Armies might be for you. It's all about deciding where you're going to sacrifice units and where you're going to you know, choose to charge in and play a distraction if you like playing mind games, that kind of thing. These are the kinds of armies for you. Trixie can be incredibly rewarding, but it's also probably the hardest type of army on this list. And, won't lie to you, generally appeals to more competitive-minded players. And not to say that you can't play them casually, but a lot of the tricks in this boat are more pushed towards competitive play. And so, playing that kind of army with your buds can sometimes be frustrating for them. And so, when playing this type of army, keep that in mind. Especially when you're trying to build that social contract with your opponent so they don't get too frustrated halfway through the game. Yeah, I think that's... That's entirely true, because a lot of these armies have tricks that are what most people refer to as gotcha moments, where, you know, haha, you walked into this trap that you didn't know existed, and I didn't tell you about. And it, a lot of the times it leaves your opponent going, you could do what? Who, what, what now? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? What do you mean you come out of deep strike, get three inches next to me, and then get automatic charge with your crazy rock drills? What? Yeah. Yeah, that happens all the time. However, to get that to go off, generally speaking, you've got to be someone who did your homework. And I don't mean like you read a single article one time. I mean, you probably read that book front to back one or two times. And then you probably went on YouTube and you watched multiple hours of videos explaining exact sequencing of how you're going to do things to get this big payoff. And then you went into the game and you had to figure out how to set it all up to even implement all of the stuff that you just spent time getting a college degree and learning how to do. Yeah, it's a big galaxy brain kind of concept for a lot of these armies. Yeah, that's why I stay away from them. Uh, I, well, I say that, but I do play an army that I guess is kind of tricksy. But alas, not nearly as tricksy as some of the others. Um... So if you're somebody who doesn't want to put a ton of effort into learning how to play Plastic Army Men, which is entirely fair and is a perfectly sane stance to take, then this is not for you. And if you're a newer player who wants to kind of start at something that's easier to learn the game as a whole, this is not for you. But if you are somebody who likes to play every video game you've ever played on expert mode, and who likes to build all of their Ikea furniture with no instructions, then this army 
is probably going to be up your alley. Like this whole archetype is going to be for you because you the army go ahead. The army also kind of focuses you into having to learn how every other army works. You you have to know the game inside and out. You have to know the, the, like how all the turns work. If you want to read the rulebook cover to cover and memorize it, you're going to need to for this kind of army. So we're, we're really trying to let you know here. It is a lot of fun. It is really fun to get into. And even in narrative games where it's not competitive, you can have like these weird objectives you're trying to secure for this galaxy brain plan of yours against an opponent of maybe like just dumb orcs. But it's still going to require a lot of understanding the ins and outs of the game. And I'm sure we'll get into it in a later episode of how to approach that kind of play. But it's hard to get into. So be warned. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of what we've been saying over the course of these archetypes is that some of them are going to be more opening to new players than others. However, none of them are necessarily easy. None of them are necessarily like sit down and autopilot to win. Uh, All of them are going to take some effort, but this one is just going to take a lot more. However, that kind of leads to an interesting topic, John, and it's not a new archetype of armies, but it's a topic that stretches across all of the army archetypes that we mentioned today. And it's one that I think is kind of important for new players to get into uh, and to talk about. And that is the concept of difficulty in an army. So it's really hard to kind of break that down unless we do it army by army, which we're definitely not going to do here today. But generally speaking, what do you think makes an army more difficult or more challenging to play and get into? And what do you think makes an army easier and less challenging to get into? Well, uh, so to start off with, I think one of the things to make an army less challenging is, is it capable of taking a punch yeah you know something like death guard or space marines in general or necrons or in aos something like stormcast eternals just the tougher guys the guys that can allow you to make a couple of mistakes without being crippled but on the flip side of the stuff you've got stuff like eldar and uh skaven would be one of them where they they kind of get hit a little too hard and it can just ruin your whole game yeah like you can just be dead because you must be positioned poorly and that really kind of determines the easeability for a newer player in a faction. No, I think that's entirely fair. Like, if you have an army that can take being... Maybe you set them up badly turn one. You didn't know any better. You just kind of set them up and however looked appropriate. And then your opponent hurts you pretty badly turn one. If your army could take that punch so that you could try to correct turn two, that's pretty good for you. And... I would argue that for a new player, that's really, really helpful. Um, I would also then, for me, my second component for an army that kind of determines difficulty as opposed to user-friendliness is aura abilities. A lot of very difficult armies have characters that are vital and that can only do things in a certain range around them. And every time... You move any model for any reason. You have to make sure that these ranges are all overlapping and they're all in the right spot and they're all going off at the appropriate times. And if nothing else, that's just a lot of bookkeeping that at least when I got into my first army that I no longer play, that drove me nuts. 
Yeah, I think that aura abilities can definitely be a bit overwhelming for a newer player, especially like keeping all of the ranges in your head at the same time. But I think uh, in the flip side, there are certain armies that do have aura abilities, like Space Marines, in which it is a huge boon because Space Marines can get a lot of rerolls for to hits and to wounds, which is how you do your damage. And that's very useful to like even out the chance to really kind of, again, make up for your mistakes. And, you know, we'll get into it more, I believe, in the next episode, right, Joe? Where, uh, which armies we kind of suggest for yep. newer folks. Starting next episode, specifically. Uh, so that way we can walk you through, rather than here where we're kind of being broad, so you could get in your head what you might be into. Next episode and the episode after, we'll be breaking them down into specific factions that fall into these archetypes. So that way, if you've thought about it over the next week or so, and... You've decided what kind of army you're looking for. Maybe we can kind of point you in that direction. But uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Auras can make things a little easier. uh, But what I experienced was like an oversaturation of auras. And that just became, that became real difficult very quickly. Yeah, when it becomes like having to combo certain characters together to get a particular effect. Whereas instead of saying, I took one dude and this dude does one thing. That's really easy. But when it's... You know, I've got three separate dudes, and when they combine together, they do this big thing. It's a little bit harder to manage, especially as a newer player. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Also, in terms of ease and difficulty for an army, this one isn't play style, but it's for building and painting and hobbying. Newer armies that were released more recently, newer armies are easier for all hobbying purposes. Some of the armies in these two games are really old, and their models aren't in plastic. They're in resin that is less than ideal to work with and is warped and bent. And sometimes the models are in metal, which can be even worse to work with. Uh, And in terms of trying to get an army painted and built, that can be difficult. Whereas the new sculpts are gorgeous and absolutely stunning. And it's not to say that those armies aren't worth looking into if it's something you're really interested in, because a lot of it is a learning experience from the hobby perspective of learning how to handle some of that stuff. Yeah. And we'll get, well, I'm sure we're going to get into that here. We love talking about this game. We do it all the time. It's the reason we made the show. Yeah. We're going to tell you so many things if you like hearing our voices. Oh, but yeah, I, the, I can't blame you at all. Um, however, are, did you have something else to add to that, John? Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, even though the plastic is easier to work with there is a certain quality to some of the older stuff and you can even still find some of that stuff on like ebay so don't be too scared of the metal and the resin there's lots of people online that can you know have guides to help show you how to handle it and deal with it but as joe said the plastic will just be easier and they will have more detail so yeah i think mind that's a pretty fair generalization all right john so before we get out of here I thought it would be fun with if we tell all these people the things we did when we didn't listen to anyone's advice and maybe made some purchases that we might have regretted. So I'll start because I almost didn't get into this hobby because I chose a ba- an army that was a bad choice for me when I got into this game. I chose an army that frustrated me so much that I almost didn't continue to play Age of Sigmar and... It was a shame, and it was, for me at least, it was largely the inspiration, but 
behind wanting to put together this episode to maybe save y'all a little bit of the pain that I went through. So when I got into the game, I knew almost nothing about the lore or the rules or any of that. I, I was just getting into Age of Sigmar and Age of Sigmar was a little newer at the time. And I saw that there was an army of big laser dinosaurs. And I thought like, laser dinosaurs? Well, that's the, uh, that's the pick right there. Like, I, I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's my favorite movie. Shut up. <laughs> um, like, that's obviously the pick. Why are we even talking past this point? Just give me laser dinosaurs. And I got these laser dinosaurs, although at the time I was just coming out of college. I think I was in senior year of college. And I didn't have a ton of money, so I thought I would do the eBay route. And I would buy some used models off of eBay. And I, I found some. I found a lot of them. I found more than I was ready to handle. And I bought them, and they were fairly cheap. They got here and they were in all sorts of disrepair. They needed stripped, which I had no idea what was or how to do. A lot of them needed to be like slowly pieced and glued back together, which I'd never done before in my life. And some were in metal, which I didn't even know how to get to stick. And it was awful. It was to I was totally overwhelmed. There was I felt like I didn't know what to do with anything. Luckily, I managed to rally and I pushed through that part and I got most of an army put together and then I put them on the table and they turned out to be one of those armies with a ton of auras that had to be used together plus a bunch of magic spells that needed to go on top of all your units to make them more powerful and you had to make sure all your ranges were correct and appropriate and it was just over it was mind-boggling is my mind-boggling I was there were so many options that I was absolutely paralyzed. And when I did try to play them, I couldn't get them to perform the way that people told me they performed. And I felt like this hobby was, just wasn't for me. Like, obviously, I'm not capable of doing this thing. But luckily, someone found me and said, maybe you should just try a different army first. Then we'll see how you feel. And I'm immensely grateful, because... Sure enough, I got a new army that I got into Stormcast Eternals, uh, which are brand new sculpts, simpler to use mechanically. They're a great toolbox army that had a little bit of everything. And all of a sudden, I was having a blast. But uh, I was not for the first bit I got into this hobby. Yeah, uh, my first experience was a lot different. I first started when I was much younger. I was mm -hmm. about 12 or 13 years old, something around there. And uh, I had gotten a bunch of like a box of Imperial Guardsmen. And I was like, I love Starship Troopers. Oh man, I love Halo. I'm going to have these cool Marine dudes. They're just regular dudes fighting space bugs and evil demons from outer space. And then I uh, thought it'd be a really good idea as like this kid to just go buy a new box every time I get a little bit of money. So I ended up with like 120 Guardsmen. Oh, that was my whole God. army. <laughs> and back then, uh, Guardsmen could not deal with tanks. Like they couldn't, you couldn't shoot vehicles with their little laser guns or do anything. So I built this army of 120 <laughs> little guardsmen <laughs> dudes uh, whose arms were barely put together and, like, didn't they were half of them weren't painted. I painted, like, ten dudes. And, like, I played, tried to play against somebody, and I got stomped so bad. I didn't play the game for, like, two years. I just kept these dudes, like, on a shelf and didn't touch them. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up coming back later. I went to fantasy and played a little bit of wood elves and then... 
started playing other things. And since then, I've played almost every faction in, in at least 40k. Not so much Age of Sigmar, but yeah, like it was, it was rough going there for a second. So, from a manner of experience, can tell you, like, listen to some stuff and kind of make an informed decision. What what you like aesthetically also matters, but be aware of what you're getting into so you're more prepared and hopefully we can help EGN. Before you end up with a bunch of guys with angry flashlight guns from the movie Platoon and you're supposed to fight cosmic horrors and aren't prepared. <laughs> That's glorious, John. I didn't know you had a 120 guardsmen, just a wall of meat. That was your whole army. Yeah, like, little, like, 12, 13-year-old me had sat and spent, like, two weeks building all these, like, went through bottle after bottle of superglue, covered my hands in superglue, <laughs> like, putting these dudes together, and they didn't even look good. Like, they did not look even, they were, like, like, I had arms that were very clearly not built the right way, and stuff like that it was crazy. All of your guys had dislocated shoulders. Yeah, it's just battle damage. Don't look too closely. <laughs> like, since then, I keep wanting to build horde armies. <laughs> like, you keep wanting to go, like, Gene Pseudocult came out, like, a couple of years ago, and I bought them and then sold them, and now I'm sitting here going, man, I should really start Gene Pseudocult army again. <laughs> like, because <laughs> like, I have a problem. Like, if it, I don't have the space for it, but I want the space for it. I'll get a storage unit. That's what I'll do. Storage unit. Dude, you are not going to get a storage unit of shame for your unpainted plastic boys. Good Listen, Lord. Our, our listeners want me to have a horde army <laughs> I, I don't think they do i don't think they do but i guess we'll find out when they get to respond um well we tell you those stories so that we can try to maybe help you not almost leave the game like me or to not get a crippling plastic addiction like john um and well, like we talked about earlier after this episode next week we're specifically going to talk about armies from the games that Games Workshop makes to try to point you in an appropriate direction. Uh, next week is going to be Age of Sigmar. We're doing that first. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to jump into 40K. And hopefully, if you liked this, maybe you'll enjoy those episodes. And we'll get to see you then. But for yeah, now, so that's all of our opinions. Bonafide and Country Fried. I've been Joe. I've been John. And we'll see you all next time. See ya.